Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sit next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan. This evening we are sitting down with a person that has been in the center of controversy and conversation for a few months now. He was jailed and removed from his job as the battalion CO at Advanced Infantry Training Battalion, School of Infantry East aboard Camp Lejeune, following a series of videos that were criticizing the upper echelons of the Marine Corps. The disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan was a failure in planning and execution at the strategic level, and in the eyes of Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, somebody needed to be held responsible. It is no question that there were mistakes made, but when Big Marine Corps started to go after Scheller, it raised my curiosity. Why would the ranks try to rip this man apart so badly for something that a solid swath of the population agreed with, the warfighting population? In episode 17, we had Lieutenant Colonel retired Jonathan Myers on the show, where we covered his book, American to the Core. In the book and in the interview, he talked about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. He was with the J-5 Intelligence for the Joint Staff as an intelligence officer. According to Myers, the capabilities of the Taliban and the possibility of them taking back control of the country were always being briefed. None of the plans at his time that were being briefed included leaving overnight. He stated that that was unheard of. He mentioned, quote, if you ask anybody at the rank of colonel or above, you're going to get one answer as to whether the Taliban is going to take back over after we leave. If you ask anybody, lieutenant colonel or below, especially you guys, having served and worked alongside the ANA, not the special forces, allies, and translators, you're going to get a completely different answer. He added that, quote, once you hit colonel and general officer, it becomes politics, all politics. When enough sane-minded people are saying the same thing, it might be worth looking into. I told many of my friends that the only way for what Scheller did to make sense to me was if he follows through. The groundwork has been laid, and the movement is underway. If you visit his site at AuthenticAmericans.com, the words at the top read, America needs leaders, not politicians. Followed by, quote, America's problem? The American representative democracy's greatest threat is the current state of divisiveness. Great republics do not fall from external forces. Like ancient Rome and Yugoslavia, they fall from internal strife and decay. This often unspoken problem corrodes the American way of life from the inside. The polarization of key departments in the American government, such as defense and justice, are symptomatic of the same problem. Furthermore, the critical issues facing America's future, such as national debt, immigration, and an ineffective military system, to name a few, are consistently unaddressed due to, uh, because the solutions don't fall perfectly in line with one political party's dogma. The American people are at an inflection point and must decide soon if this, form, uh, if this current form of government still serves their interests." Unquote. Today we'll find out from Stuart Scheller himself about his choices, about his follow-through, and about his upcoming book, Crisis of Command. Sir, 
thanks for uh, joining the show. Um, indebted, it's a it's an honor to have you on and uh, and to get to get to talk to you for a hot minute, uh, at least a little while, and kind of catch up on what's been going on uh, in the world. So again, yeah, it's an honor you. to be on your show, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on. I know. I, Ryan, for your for your followers, reached out to me early, and uh, I didn't get to connect with them. And then I actually saw him at an event, and it, as soon as I saw him, I realized what he was about. I was like, "Hey, I'm going to make time. Absolutely, let's do this." So I'm excited to be on the show, brother. Absolutely, sir, and uh, and I appreciate having you. I, I, I want to give that platform. We are small, but we are growing, and uh, and the viewers are, are reaching out. They're asking questions. Maybe we we'll get to some of that later, but. Uh, for me, I'm writing another book right now. My first book is Outlines of Marja. Anybody that's interested, that's uh, Amazon.com. But it did well, and it was more war-oriented, and now I wanted to reach a, a larger swath of people. So my next book is about leadership in general, what I've learned about leadership and then the people that I find um, interesting or above reproach in some manner. I like to try to ask them, find out where they came from, how they got to where they're at. Um, most of the general questions in my study are, when you were young, did you have both parents in the home? Did you play sports growing up? Was religion in the household? And then I end it with the catalyst to service. And then if, uh, if we could start there, and then we'll kind of spawn conversation out of that. Yeah, I'll work my way to the end. So I'll, your first question was, I, I, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's follow through, and that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm going to come back to that uh, because I, I think when I started my ordeal, I didn't realize what I was, uh, I mean, I knew I was taking risk, but I wasn't sure about the follow through because I, it just became one of those things that escalated very quickly. But for me, yeah, the military service has always been about that, leaving a better country for my children. You know, it was never about being a career officer. It was never about a retirement. It was never about money. It was about making a difference in the world. You know, when you're dead, no one cares about money. They care about the difference that you made and that you you left a better place for your children. And so that's what the military service for me was about. I grew up with, uh, I was a one of four kids. So I was the oldest, uh, I had three younger siblings. Uh, my parents were married. We went to church a lot, a lot of different Christian denominations. Um, I actually started, I played college soccer and my the first school that I went to and played at was a Baptist school. I had to take Old Testament, New Testament. I had to go to seminar every day. So, yeah, I grew up uh, very religious, at least religious upbringing. Um, and so that's that's me. Um, you know, when I got into everything that I got into, I when I made that first video, I didn't plan on making any other statements and I didn't plan on resigning. But I felt very strongly about what I said and to the opening that you gave about people being political I feel like people come into the military, especially like officers and junior enlisted with idealistic reasons. They want to make a difference. Everything I just said. And then after 40 years of pleasing bosses, which is how long it takes for a four-star general, 40 years, they just kind of lose that idealism and just learn how to navigate the system. And the ideals that they preach are not congruent with their actions. And mm, it, mm. It just very clearly, I mean, I could go through it. But the, the decisions that were made in the Afghanistan evacuation were just terrible through and through. And it was for me, it wasn't just that isolated event. It was like the punctuation mark of bad decisions that I had witnessed over two decades. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I ended up getting a master's in military science and studied all the bad decisions really post-World War II. I mean, this is like 70 years in the making and we've just drifted so far 
that um, once I made those statements and then the Marine Corps and the, and the higher military ranks, I felt like were bullying me and trying to silence me, questioning my honor. Mm. That's where there was just no turning back for me. And I, I was going to take it all the way to the end. And, you know, I'm still here doing it. You know, I'm still I, I think they thought I would like crawl into the bottom of a bottle or just disappear. And uh, I, I, I'm passionate about this. This has been my life's work. And so I'm not going anywhere. And so um, I asked the same question to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Myers when he came on. And I want to ask it to you because I don't know the answer. Um, what does accountability look like at the, at the general staff level? What does it look yeah. like? I, so everyone makes mistakes. Like that happens. Mm -hmm. Accountability is simply saying, I messed this up. This was bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't even mean, mean that somebody needs to be fired. Right. But right. when you get people killed and the people that you got killed were preventable based on better decisions that could have been made, you have to say, we messed this up. And I will say General McKenzie, who is completely responsible, in my opinion, with a combatant commander, when he conducted the drone strike and killed nothing but women and children, he did say it was a mistake and I'm sorry. But he only said that after the AP, the news, figured out that he killed women and children. And he was, like, caught red-handed. Yeah. And even then, that was, all he said was, I'm sorry, but he didn't put anything in place to prevent it from happening again. Right. Same thing after, like, Benghazi. You have these generals that have these abilities to make moral stands and do the right thing rather than just following the orders that they were given, which is the, the excuse General McKenzie gave to why it failed. And why he didn't make better decisions, he was like, I was following the orders that I was given. Well, once you assume the restraints of a plan, now you're accountable. Mm. If you were any type of courageous leader, you would have stood up and said, this is not executable. You're going to get people killed. I'm going to resign or we're not going to do this. There's historical examples for that. General Singh Lob was the Korean commander. And this was when Carter was president. Carter mm. wanted to withdraw all American troops out of Korea. Singh Lob went to him privately and said, you're going to... All our gains are going to be lost. The Koreans are going to go to war. You shouldn't do it. Carter said, I heard you out, but I'm still going to do it. Then Singh Lab went public, and he resigned, and he was effective, and he prevented the fallout of Korea and all our hard work being lost. It's the exact same example. Mm -hmm. But, you know, where we're at, you know, Singh Lab was a World War II veteran. We just don't make generals like that anymore. Now we have these people-pleasing people that just – it's just crazy how far we've drifted. And uh, – yeah, I, that's, I got to a point where I needed to say something because I knew no one else would. Right, and that's, a, that's another point, that, a good segue there is because, well, it, not in a derogatory way from the read-in, but the, the reason I said what I said is if you were to do that and then you crawled under a bottle and you disappeared, it meant nothing. It meant nothing. It meant like you, you threw your career and made all these sacrifices, personal sacrifices that you made, and it meant nothing because because there's no follow through. That's and what I've seen over a period of time, I talked to a guy by the name of Gunnery Sergeant John Wayne Williams and a couple other people that know you personally, that know me, just kind of bubble connections, two jump connections. And I talked to him and I said, you know, I don't know him and I need you to tell me, do you know him? And he said, I know him. This is a good person. And so I'm like, all right. So I started talking to people that didn't know you inside the Marine Corps. And everybody that didn't know you was giving me the same three talking points that they got from their sergeant major and their first sergeant as soon as you did what you did. And I'm like, okay, hang on a second. They are literally treating this like a smear campaign for somebody who did something that not just me, but 
other actual warfighters that went there and waged war every day are saying, this isn't right that they're doing this to this person. He's, he's literally giving a voice to thousands of us, and they're trying to smear him, like, 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 you know, like a CNN smear campaign, like some political smear campaign. And it's like, when they start to push too hard, and when the big government and big Marine Corps, big organization starts to push too hard at one little piece, that is always curious to me. It's always yeah, right. like, what are I'm you afraid really, of? I really appreciate you bringing that up because when they did my investigation, you know, I was a commander for a company commander for five years, a platoon commander, I was a battalion commander for just a, sh a short period of time before mm. all this happened. But when they did my investigation, they didn't ask a single Marine that served under me what they thought of me. If you go and talk to the Marines that served with me and you actually talk to them, most of them have great things to say. Now, no leader has pleased everybody over 17 years but sure. the vast majority of them will tell you that i was a good mf right i was actually at a town hall in new hampshire and one of my old marines realized i was gonna be out there and walked in and and took the opportunity to say hey well i was working with captain sheller and he walked over and was filling sandbags with us right and so even my own congressman when i went through this he and i was in the news and everyone was kind of smearing my name and he's like well let's just wait there's a lot more that hasn't come out about lieutenant colonel sheller and now the dust has settled and nothing else has come out about me. You would, if there was any skeletons in my closet, they would have all been on front street. The fact that nothing negative has actually come out about me just is indicative of like all these people that were talking trash about me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have served my country honorably. I was a, a damn good officer. And the fact that I was just immediately discredited because I had a contrarian view was very frustrating. And they all assumed everything like it was political it was for money i was a fascist i was compared to hitler yeah. i was an extremist no one said hey maybe lieutenant colonel scheller believes in what he's saying and we should take a closer look because all indications up to this point is he's a solid guy it's just yeah. that yeah. wasn't a narrative and it was it was very frustrating yeah and like for me it was like uh, i almost felt like the marine corps was spitting in its own face is like so you're saying that this is the person that for 17 years this fascist person is for 17 years who you continued to put in charge of marines right. you knew this about him apparently you knew how bad he was but what you just weren't going to say anything until you had to it just doesn't make sense what makes more sense is that what you're saying they're threatened by and they don't want to lose order in the ranks because maybe they feel like it's true and now they're trying the best they can to to make it go away that's what it seemed like to me and yeah, then i mean I had, I had sergeants and corporals and staff sergeants texting me because across the DOD, they did stand down training to address my incident and talk about how it was the wrong thing to do. And so in guided discussions, the leaders were trying to convince everyone that it was the wrong thing. And most people just, you know, in the stand down training, like, yeah, that was the wrong thing to do. But like the people that actually knew me were like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Like right. Lieutenant Colonel Scheller is a good dude. And they were texting me like I was the one guy that was speaking up for you because everyone was talking about how what you did was wrong because the DOD mandated that. And it's hard to fight against that. Right. So like yeah. as I was going through this and like I said, I didn't plan on making other statements. But once I realized they were trying to silence me, I mean, they they sent me to a mental health hospital. I, I mean, I've killed people. I missed the, the funeral of every one of my grandparents. I missed the birth of my first child. At no point was my mental health ever challenged. But when I spoke out against leadership, it was like, you're crazy. And mm -hmm. it was just a very challenging ordeal. Yeah. And so it's, it's funny because it's not funny. It's interesting because 
one of my old buddies was working over on Lejeune and boom, I get a message at the, you know, in the middle of the night. He's like, Hey, you need to know about this. This is what's going on. I just got a message from, you know, X, Y, and Z that they're trying to make this guy go to the hospital and get his head checked out. And that's instantly where I was like, Nope, this is, that was the start of it for me. It was like the Marine Corps is going to go heavy at this and try to write him off as crazy because they're worried about what he's saying, not because what he's saying is not true. And, and so I got very emotionally involved as well, and I don't know how much you know about me, probably not much, and that's fine, but the withdrawal from Afghanistan falling apart really messed me up, not like on an emotional level, but on an anger level, uh, for many reasons. One, uh, how many Americans is it okay that we leave behind in an effort? To the warfighting community, it's zero. zero. Uh, to this administration and a pullout, it is not zero. That is a fact, and we know that. Um, General McKenzie stated hundreds, and so add that, it's probably thousands, right? Yeah. And by his own admission, he's like, there's still hundreds of Americans, but it's not a DOD effort anymore. I was the same way as you, Ryan. I was like, that is incredible to me that you're going to leave, the DOD is going to leave. When you as the general even admitting you're leaving hundreds of Americans, there. it's just... yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And to in the warfighter, the the warrior ethos is like we don't we don't leave anybody behind that we're supposed to bring. That includes the interpreters that I worked with in Marja during the clear, who's still in Kabul right now and hiding after all this time. It's not no fanfare, right? It's not all over the news, but I I keep up with him daily to make sure he's still alive and he's given me you know what he's got going on in Kabul and and what's going on. Uh, behind the scenes and I'm still trying to aid in efforts to get him CIV uh, or SIV uh, paperwork in, in line so he can still get out of that country. But it's like, what does it say when we do that? And we promise these people, even the ones that are helping us for 20 years, we promise them we're going to get you out. Then we leave them high and dry. The next time we have a battle, who's going to be running to help be, be interpreters and give us intelligence? Who's going to believe any of the promises? And, like, tactically, that was a, a huge fuck-up, in my opinion, just to leave them all and say, ah, sorry, we'll, we'll use you next time. And, and, and so that's where I became emotionally involved because we did spend time and we did build relationships there. And it's like, when did that become okay? And maybe it's, maybe it's my ignorance and it's just always been that way, but that's one of those things that just really burned a lot of people. So, uh yeah, man, I don't know what to say about that. So, uh, so to get back to it, um, you have a new uh, a new platform that you upped, uh, uh, Authentic Americans, and um, and I browsed it. I browsed your forum area where you're asking questions, and I like the dialogue. Where do you see that going? Where do you want that to go? So I created Authentic Americans right when I was getting out of the military. It was basically the one stop shop for my brand, my thoughts, because there was just so many narratives about me. And you read kind of the opening homepage and it, everything I did was apolitical. You know, I am a conservative, but at the same time, like I wasn't thinking about politics. Holding military generals accountable should be the most apolitical and a universally agreed upon thing. But everyone wanted to make what I said political and it was very hard to navigate, especially when I couldn't make statements. And then also there was all these fake social media accounts that got created on my name. So on Authentic Americans, all my real social media got linked to the bottom. Um, I mean, the commandant even quoted one of the fake social media accounts saying that I was talking trash about President Biden. Mm -hmm. And it was like, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, first of all, that's undue command influence. 
Like that's illegal, but you're not going to be prosecuted. But two, you're not even right. Like you're referencing a fake account under my name. Yeah. And so I tied all my real social media to the website. I created a forum. Um, and then I, I got some merchandise and some places to donate. Um, and then also my book. So the book is coming out in uh, the first week of September, Crisis of Command. And it really talks about, you know, we've hit a couple of the surface things, but it goes into great detail of the raw story that I went through. And then I tie that in with the macro trends I've observed over my career and how the military's lost its warfighting focus and how ultimately we're just, uh, we're not on the right track. And I give a pretty clear outline of how I, I would get back on track if I was the Secretary of Defense. And, um, and so that Authentic Americans is kind of a place that people want to see what Stuart Scheller is about. That's the, the one platform. Because even all my social media platforms, you know, you got censorship. Sure. You got like shadow. I've posted some things that uh, I, I can just tell that they're they're not sharing to other people's feeds. Yep. And uh, so if I if I if I so choose, I haven't gone there yet, but I've left myself the capability to just post all my stuff on the on the website. Mm. Uh, I'm not there yet, but it, I've I've built it to be my brand and my my house to communicate if needed. Gotcha, gotcha. And so. Um... One thing I wanted to bring up about your about your past uh, that I found interesting while I was watching some of the other interviews, I think it was maybe the Jocko podcast that I found this little one. Um, but you served in Lebanon on the non-combatant evacuation. I too served in Lebanon on the non-combatant evacuation. Um, but I was with Third Fast Company, and so okay. we came in out of Cyprus, and then we gunned up the ferry boats and cruise liners and floated back across once we got them down to the port. So I thought it was interesting that we had probably seen each other when we were much younger, uh, actually in another country under, uh, under operations, but, uh, because there was only a few people that ended up going over from, from us, like maybe a squad. And then you guys had a small footprint as well. So I thought that was wild. And for me, that was my first real opera, real world operation outside of like a Gitmo tour on the fence line. So to come over and see actual rockets hitting and, and actual, uh, doing Marine things was cool. And then, uh, it was almost like a, a feel-good kind of a marine deployment for us because you were helping people, and, and so got to see that side of it before the other. But um, but very yeah, I'll cool see from a from a military standpoint because not a lot of people are familiar with that little conflict. But Hezbollah destroyed Israel. Israel had overwhelming armored uh, assets. But Hezbollah, with their tunnels and anti-tank weapons, really put a hurting on them. Mm. And I don't think the people in Ukraine have really studied that conflict as well as they should have. Like, Ukraine's, I mean, Hezbollah didn't know. It was like, you know, all of a sudden one day they fired some rockets and then Israel attacked. And Israel, I think, justifiably attacked. Sure. But, I mean, Ukraine, since 2014. They've known. I mean, they've known, they've been staged on the border since April, and there's no tunnels, there's just no good tactics. And so everyone is pro-Ukraine right now, but quite honestly, from a military uh, standpoint, viewpoint, I feel like Ukraine could have done a lot better job preparing uh, to be more effective, and they, and they really should go back and study that 2006 operation. Sure, and I, I know that they do have um, a tunnel a tunnel network under Kiev, or I don't know, but it's suggested in the in the media that they have a pretty enhanced tunnel system there. But yeah, when your when your borders are naked and you let it, you know, let it get all the way to Kiev before before you have defenses, um, 
that, that's something else. That's another one that's very troubling at the time right now to me. And I would say that from what I've seen in the Ukraine, like I love the fighting spirit. Uh, Zelensky did way more than I think even the world thought that he could do, let alone would do, uh, especially with outs given. But they've really, really showed, um, they've shown the battlefield, the world battlefield, in my opinion, uh, what it looks like with drones now and what it looks like with dumb and smart drones. And we've been commanding the drone airspace for such a time that we haven't really publicized what we can do with them. But now when it's coming out of other countries and we're seeing it, matter of fact, I was just at a uh, sniper and all uh, best sniper competition out at Lejeune just a couple weeks ago. And I was out there with the vendors kind of checking out what they had and the new uh, fire from enclosure law rocket that they have, which is badass in my opinion, uh, didn't have that, but they said they've now mounted the dual mounted them on quadcopters. And it's like, like if we'll get to the force design uh, issue in, in a minute and talk about the article from the Marine Times. But for me, it's like they just revolutionized the battlefield. And maybe yeah. some of that big mechanized armor doesn't make any difference at this point. Because if I can fly a quadcopter and double, you know, double slam me with rockets, you're done anyway. And I don't even have to risk a, a, a life. I'm risking some equipment, but that's equipment. And, um, and so it's really, re in my opinion, it looks to really revolutionize all of war, uh, how we look at it. So, and what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I completely agree. There's certain pieces of technology that revolutionized the battlefield. I mean, 1800s, the Gatlin gun was one of them. Uh, the tank in the 1900s and then the airplane in the 1900s. And quite honestly, the unmanned drones is one that I don't think war has really felt the effect of. I'll say, you know, we can get into the force design stuff. Everyone, all the retired generals are pushing back on General Berger. I don't think they, they truly understand or have studied. Because General Berger, I know what he studied. He studied the conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Okay. And not many people are familiar with that either. Um, but Azerbaijan had a bunch of TB two i think it is okay and it's uh, a canadian made uas that has anti-tank weapons ukraine's been buying them and uh the old soviet anti-air defense systems can't pick up the drones too small they just of a pick signature. Up the big aircraft that's right mm -hmm. and so i mean the tanks are just sitting ducks yeah. and so azerbaijan just destroyed armenia and general berger studied that and he thought this is the new way that war is going, and that's why he made the moves that he did. Sure. Um, the artillery is kind of a different story. I, I don't think he made the right call on artillery, and I think he actually acknowledged that, and he's going back and he's repurchasing the, the cannon artillery. Mm -hmm. um, but so, yeah, I mean, I, so that, since I went down that road, I'll start it. Uh, the, right now, all the retired generals from the Vietnam era are attacking General Berger in the media because they disagree with his tactical assessment of getting rid of tanks and downsizing the artillery. And they think it's not uh, good for the Marine Air Ground Task Force and mm -hmm. that the Marine Corps is gonna lose its identity, if you will. But what I'll say is, we don't know. We don't know what the next war is gonna be and we have to be the most adaptable. And I, quite honestly, I don't know if General Berger's wrong or not. Yeah. What my I, I wrote an op-ed, as you alluded to, and I published it because what my concern is, is this debate on the tactical level of FD-2030 and its utility is actually misdiagnosing the reason why we continue to lose wars. It doesn't have to do with our assets on the ground. It has to do with the scene between the National Security Council and the four-star combatant commander mm -hmm. where we're consistently losing wars. 
And and I pointed out like all the old generals that are chiming in that you know a lot of people lionize and think are like legends. None of them won a war. Like we haven't won a war. So like let's examine why we consistently lose wars while we're breaking promises to all our allies and degrading credibility. Those are the things we need to analyze. Quite honestly, no one knows if the FD2030 is going to be the right or wrong call. I will say there's evidence, and I understand the logic of why General Berger made the decisions that he did. Sure. And it just, you know, all the old generals that are writing against him, quite honestly, haven't acknowledged Azerbaijan or Armenia, which is why General Berger made those decisions. Yeah, I know that, um, and I've looked into it a good deal and, and tried to network and get different opinions from different sides of the core and then outside the core, but seems to me that it's smart. And, and recently, um, in, in the Marine Times, Gunnar LaRose posted and published an article talking about uh, recent four, Range 400 and a recent 410 Alpha, where I want to say he said they broke records as far as, uh, he, he did a whole good write-up in the Marine Times there, but talked about how uh, using the UAS, uh, RAP, remote, RPAs, I think is the new name, using the remote piloted aircraft, they were able to annihilate everything. And then on the push after the Marines crossed the LOD, they're under they're underway and moving to contact. And they had the switchblades coming down and taking out uh, targets opportunity, like technical vehicles and things of that nature. So it's like, if they can really make it a uh, combined arms dilemma out of kamikaze drones supported by hero drones above them, then I say, yeah, maybe it is the way. And maybe so it they- does... The counter argument to that, because I've thought about this like sure. everyone else, the counter argument is everyone agrees there's a nonlinear advantage if you can effectively use drones and use it in the combined arms team. Mm. The problem is if you heavily invest in this at the atrophy of everything else, and then what's going to happen is technology is going to catch up and people are going to figure out how to defeat the drones. And so now if you have a technology where the drones are just falling out of the sky, and you don't have tanks, and you don't have artillery, and you've lost some of the skill sets that you have, now right. you're vulnerable. Right. I see so what that's, you're saying. That's a counter to that, right? Like, so, yes, right now, technology is that the drones can't be defeated. That technology is going to correct itself. When? Yeah. I don't know. So, right now, there's an advantage if you're using the drones. But what I'll offer you is you just got to be careful. Don't go too hard into that because once they're defeated, and now if you're so invested in that and you've lost all this other stuff. We're back to here. Yeah, we're back to the other block and we need to have the basics underway still. Now, what say you about the the side of force design where we're putting uh, higher enlisted people in the leadership positions down at like the team squad platoon level? I I honestly, I just don't understand. Like you've got to grow them. And so like I've never really understood it. Um, it. You know, it'll work in the beginning, Right. You can just take guys that you've already grown and stick them in these positions. But then, like, what happens? Like, you, you still have to grow them into these spots. So where do they grow at? Mm-hmm. It, the logic of it doesn't make sense to me. And they've actually never explained it. So it, And so, like, like, one of the things that I always told about the Marine Corps is that from 18, when you come onto the yellow footprints, you're being put in leadership roles. Like, from a very, you should be, at least in the infantry world when I was coming up. I wasn't even a team leader, but I was briefing, uh, you know, briefing missions. Uh, briefing overlays, uh, you know, learning those jobs as a Lance Corporal or a young, young Lance Corporal. That way, if something happens and you have to move up, which at the time, the op tempo was crazy. A lot of guys were coming in and out, either dying or getting out when they got home. And so we had Lance Corporals at some parts during, you know, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan that were leading squads as Lance Corporals. Now, I understand saying, yeah, we need that seasoned guy up here, but I, I fall back on the same comments that you make. Like, 
after these ones who have done stuff and grown into the leaders that you want them to be, they're not going to stay there forever. And then, and then are you going to do like a retention bonus or something at the staff or gunny level to get them to, to want to continue to do that? The, the problem is obvious and no one has explained the logic of how this is a sustainable model. And everyone knows, everyone looks at it and is like, this doesn't make sense. Like sustainably, like how are you going to do this? And no one is giving it because there is no answer. And so what, I mean, the only answer you have is now you have to be a staff sergeant much faster. So that sergeant is really just the staff sergeant. So like you're, you're giving them higher ranks, but it's the same guy. Same and quality. So I, I'm not convinced that that's going to work. Yeah. I said for a long time that I think the squad leaders should be speaking the same language as the platoon commanders. And I think that that's come a long way. And I see a lot of guys go as an instructor out of here and go like OCS or IOC or whatever, whatever it is, TBS they go to. There's a couple of different ones. And I think that's great. But then there's no, on the back end, it's like, now you need to come back and explain that dialogue and that mindset to all of us or all the rest of the people that didn't go. And then we need to follow through and implement that throughout for that to work. And I don't know if we're there yet. I mean, I've been out for a number of years now, but I try to stay close with the guys that are still here, still hitting in the gunner community, especially. And, um, and so be that as it may, I think it's interesting how, how that'll grow out. I think there'll be growing pains. And then I think the same thing, I think you'll run into a sustainability problem where you're just sacrificing, uh, really ranked for experience because they're not getting much more experience as they obtain that higher rank unless we go back to war like in a big way so, so it's uh, interesting there um where where do you see yourself politically going do you think that you've moved into politics now and that, that you're okay with that you know man uh, i am very passionate about making america a better place i I, I just, all I've been doing is supporting political candidates. And so I've been doing town halls and, mm. and, and touring across America. And I see these guys running for politics and it's just like talking to people, talking to people, talking to people. And there gets to be a point where like, I don't want to talk to anyone else anymore. Like, get away from me. Like, I don't want to pretend like what you're saying is important. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not the right answer, but I guess I'm just not built like a politician. I like to say exactly what's on my mind and that doesn't always bode well in politics. And so... Uh, what I'll say is I would prefer to just be a farmer, ride my four wheelers and be left alone. But I think most good people, that's kind of their mindset. I just want to do my thing, leave me alone. But we take our freedoms for granted and we've allowed these crazy people to run the country. And you kind of like look around and you say all these things that are happening at the same time, like the, the hypocrisy of kind of the COVID stuff, there's transgender bathrooms and no one even asked me about it. I mean, I could just go on and it's like, what just happened? And, and so even though I don't really have a strong passion to be a politician, my passion for making America better and being like common sense leadership might pull me in. And I just haven't made those decisions yet. I understand. I understand. And, and at least in the beginning, um, at least with the very first one, you wanted the guy, you wanted the president that didn't want the job because he was the right one for it. And a lot of times that's virtue, right? And some people have argued that virtue's never been restored after Washington left office because it became a popularity and a, and a smear campaign game from the beginning. And um, it, it, it'd be very interesting what happens because generally in politics, uh, there's an overcorrection, right? 
And so if the overcorrection is coming in, in the next uh, in the next go around, it'd be interesting to see what America does and what America truly wants to do. Well, you know um, what, Ryan, I, I've never actually published this, but I, I do a lot of just like reading and writing. And um, one metaphor that I came up with, and you, you made me think of it because of the overcorrection. America with Washington, imagine like a pendulum. And everyone knows a pendulum that starts and it swings and then it like slowly stabilizes. America started with Washington in the middle and almost like drifts a little bit one way and then there's a correction and then there's a correction. And so America democracy is a pendulum in reverse. Mm -hmm. And the swings now are getting so dramatic that it's like getting close to breaking. Yeah, and there'll be a diminishing return with that. And, and so at what point can we get people that like stabilize it because we can't continue to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, that was just like something like as I was journaling, I was thinking about it and like, that's what we need. We need someone the overcorrection. We need to stop the overcorrection. Yeah. Like when president Biden came into office and signed like a 40 executive orders on day one, that's like the overcorrection. Going back, you know what, yeah. I mean? and what we don't need is a Republican to come in and do the exact same thing. Like we Agreed. need, Somebody to just kind of stabilize the system so that we can have some common sense approaches. Agreed. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I never thought about a, the reverse pendulum, but that is exactly what the way it seems. Um, and, you know, a lot of that's due to, to several different things, but mostly because I think especially at like when we're talking about the general officer level, you're talking about these guys are making well over $100,000 a year. They're making a, a very good income to keep people happy, essentially, is what it seems like, to make sure that nobody gets mad or angry at them. I wanted to come back to one of your first videos. Uh, after it went out, you came back with another video, and you said somebody that you had known, and we don't have to out anybody, but you said somebody that you knew had made the comment that if Stu Scheller was an honorable man, he would resign, right? Yeah. And I, I honestly agree with that, because if you are an honorable man, which you did, I mean, but in the, in, the, in, the, in the context that it was said, if you are an honorable man and you say, I no longer believe that this is right anymore, then it would be hypocritical of you to, to continue to give orders to other people and other Marines when you are yourself at your core in disagreement with the orders or with the organization's direction. And so I believe that to be true. Um, to some aspect, and I see where that's going, but uh, like, what's your other option? Your other option is you become a slave to the system and a slave to the money, and you begin to say yes, 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 and then you go away. And once you go away, then it's not your problem anymore, right? But it's still America's problem, and all the people that don't understand that these things are going on, it's the whole reason that I started this show was, like, we've gotten to a point before margin, we had no rounds to go out and train with because of budget stipulations. In 2010, we were doing butter, butter, jam, jam, and die, motherfucker, die with gun drills. And it's like, I don't understand that. When Dakota Myers has a Medal of Honor draped around his chest and America says, you got to go to South America for the treatment that you want. It's like, what can the United States of America not do for you, Dakota? We'll put a plant up. We'll treat you how you want to be treated. We don't send you to a third world or a next generation, next world country to go hope that you can get medicine down there. And it's about lobbyists, and it's about money, and it's about uh, legislation. That's what it's about, stopping those things. And so it's like I, we, I, I believe in your mission because I feel like we're off track. Um, the question is how do you get back on track, and is a full reset of the system necessary to do that? 
And if yeah. so, what does that look like? You know, as I was, so again, I was just a Lieutenant Colonel Battalion Commander focused on my battalion, right? I wasn't having a lot of these lofty ideas, but as I started going through it, I, you know, I was absolutely questioning that. And I quoted the Declaration of Independence and I said, the power of the government comes from the people. And when that form of government no longer serves the interests of the people, it's the people's obligation to throw off that old form of government, right? So mm. I just quoted it and people were calling me a violent extremist. I know. And I was like, you know, this, that's the foundational document with which our government is built. And if I can't quote that and have you like just not, you know, like not name call me, uh, maybe it is that bad. And so I was yeah. as I was going through it, I was, it was just eye opening how far we had drifted. And I, I still think there's enough. You know, all I've been doing is talking to people. I think there's enough common sense people out there that we can fix it. But what it requires is common sense. People have to get active. We can't just sit here and want to live our lives. Like if we don't get active, then it's going to come to a point where there will be another group, a next generation that's going to have to resort to some type of revolution because enough people aren't getting active to get it back in the track it needs to be on. Slow down the pendulum. Yeah. 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 So uh, this might be a little off, to off topic and adjusting for you, but um, from reading some of your work and, and, and whatnot, I, I have a same belief, something that I've said on the show many times is that war is just the long arm of a, of a political goal being, being achieved. So we can't say that we need to remove politics from war. We can't say that. Um, Klausowitz states that clearly. And so that war is just the means of politics and, and means can never be separated from the end, which is a political goal. And so if politics, if politics is what drives war, then there will always be a political nature to war. Always. That's right. Seemingly at that joint chiefs level, that upper echelon level is where all of that politics start or goes. That's where it happens at the interplay. Right. And so if we know that, how do we reduce the pressure that a general officer can feel from a politician when it is his job to give his answer, not to give the answer that they want? Like what could yeah. be done to safeguard the general? Do you know what I mean? From not like the, the Supreme Court, they're safeguarded because that's a lifetime appointment. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't matter the president. It doesn't matter the, you know, the legislators that are in office. You say what you want. What kind of protections could we offer that level as a way or a means to reduce the political pressure that they could even feel? Yeah, so, I mean, the easy answer is you need guys with courage that are willing to stand up for the military. But I, I think I outlined it in my book. It's much more complicated. Those guys get to those positions by being singularly focused on pleasing their bosses and getting good subjective evaluation reports. Mm -hmm. And so by the time they are four-star generals, that is who we bred. That's who we've made is someone that is just going to please their superior. Mm -hmm. And so I think you need to fix the whole promotion system based on a competitive nature. So there needs to be some type of war fighting game, pitting people against each other. So it doesn't matter if you don't like them doesn't matter if he doesn't do his annual training. If he's the best warfighter, he continues to ascend. And, you know, and you can have leadership challenges. You can build the constructs however you want, but it can't be a subjective evaluation because otherwise it's just incumbent on me to play politics and please my boss on whatever the whim is of that given scenario, that given day. Mm -hmm. And so if you can change the whole promotion system based on merit, 
vice a subjective evaluation, you're going to get a totally different type of four-star general in the position that, in my opinion, will have the courage, much more likely to have the courage to stand up and be one of those people that we need. Those World War II generals, I mean, there was a guy named uh, Marshall who was the Secretary of the Army that just fired you know, a ton of generals. And that's why I think in a lot of ways we were so effective in World War II because we got rid of all the people pleasers. And we need we need somebody with like that again, like a marshal to come in and clean up the senior leader class. And and that's a that's a temporary fix. So clean up the general officer class with a George Marshall type leader, number one. And then number two, change the system so that over time we don't have the same people pleasing people that ascend. We have uh, verified through competition qualified leaders. Sure, sure. I see that. Um, if you don't mind, do you mind if I get some of these questions? I don't want to uh, some of the some of the questions from the viewers. Uh, I don't want to leave those out, and a lot of them pertain to kind of what we're talking about. So, um, let's go right off the bat. Right here, one of the viewers says, "Do you believe that the Marine Corps has a bright future with its current and future leadership? Why or why not?" I think with the quality of Marines that we have, we'll always have a bright future. I think the quality of Marines, though, need to stand up, develop a voice, and apply pressure when there's a disparity between what senior leaders are preaching and what they're actually doing. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's very hard from the junior enlisted or junior company grade, field grade officer level to make some of the, the huge changes that need to be made. Um, but th there is ways for people to keep writing, talking, applying pressure uh, until some of these changes are made. But uh, said, said succinctly, I think that the Marine Corps will be successful because we win every tactical battle. That's the bottom yeah. line. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we win wars and we're losing wars because of the senior leaders. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of our, our of the Marine Corps gunner classes right now, especially this new one. It's got guys that I know that I've served with that have been there that Something, one of them on my show, Gunner Finney, uh, and they're taking over, you know, for battalions out here. I'm excited to see what they do because they come from where I come from. And what I, people always ask me, you think we're in trouble as a Marine Corps? And I always say, no, I do not think so. For a long time, we have not tactically ever been in trouble. We've always accomplished the missions that have given to us. And the Marines will continue to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm certain of it, especially with the leadership at the gunner level that we have and the infantry right now. Um, but be that as it may, let's move on to another one. Um, I think we kind of answered this a little bit. It says, what are your future political plans and how do you mean to grow your platform, uh, your authentic Americans platform? Um, yeah, my, my plan is my book comes out in September. So when I got out of the Marine Corps, I got out on Christmas Eve, January and February, all I did was hit the media to tell my side of the story because I was under a gag order and I just couldn't speak. And then in March through mid-April, I wrote a book. Mm -hmm. And um, that takes us, you know, from mid-April till really now mid-August, I'm just trying to get my life in order. Um, I'm, I'm actually in D.C. right now renovating a condo so I can sell it. I had a rental. I'm moving. So my own house, I got to get all my stuff in it. And then come mid-August, I am going to be back in the media promoting my book. I'll probably promote my book all the way till the holiday season of 22. And then, you know, you got the 22 elections that happen in November and then go through the holidays. And then January of 23 is when I'll make decisions if I go into politics or if I do something else. Sure. Um, so I'm growing the platform by, by the book is really the goal. The book, 
I think goes into a lot of detail. And um, once that book is out there, that'll really, I think, open a couple more doors and then I'll, I'll assess where we go from there. Check. And uh, for, for viewers that are out right now, uh, just uh, tell them where they can find the book, where they can pre-order yeah, it if they wanted one and sign, something like that. Yeah, Crisis of Command is the book. You can find it on Amazon now and pre-order it. If you want a signed copy, you can get one through my website, AuthenticAmericans.com. But it'll be come uh, release first week of September. It'll be in all the stores, the Books a Million, Barnes Noble, Walmart. Um, so I think it'll be a, a pretty big deal. I'm hoping because it's got a really good message, uh, and I just want the message to disseminate. So sure, absolutely. And um, your can you give us a teaser? Can you give me anything from the book that you haven't given anybody yeah, else I mean, something I, to look out for? Uh, yeah, I yeah, got a couple of my friends that just, um, said some heinous stuff. And so I just quote them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're going to make a formal document talking about my character, all I got to do is quote exactly what you said. So there's that. Um, I, I quote exactly what the command did to me. I, I put a lot of the verbiage in the, the reprimands that they gave me. All I got to do, I don't have to even make opinions. All I got to do is I quote them. It's, it was, it almost wrote itself mm. and it just illustrates the hypocrisy of the system. Uh, and then I, you know, I talk about my, some of my Afghan and Iraq experiences and just how we mishandled a lot of the situations, but I don't, it's not really a, a war story. All I'm trying to do is show hey, there's a disparity in what we say and what we do, and there's things that we need to do to get back on track. Sure. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind when you say that is, you know, all of the information and intelligence that's come out about the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, the amount of lies that were perpetrated to the public and to the Congress to continue the money machine to, to do what they do and the weapons and Raytheon and yep. all these people, and it's a perpetual cycle if we don't stop it. But Anyway, that's what comes to mind. Well, so I, I talk about Austin again, being a Raytheon board director, then going to SecDef. But I also talk about Mattis. Mattis went to General Dynamics as soon as he got out. Then he gave up the job to go to be the Secretary of Defense. And then as soon as he resigned, he went right back to General Dynamics. Sure. And so one of my points in the book is, like, it's, it's insider trading done legally. They recruit these generals so that they can garner influence with the active duty general community. And they're just throwing money at them. It's the, the ethical concerns are obvious. And we may not be able to stop private citizens from taking these jobs, but these generals shouldn't get a retirement. If they're mm -hmm. going to act unethically and take these uh, contracting jobs as board of directors, they should not get a military retirement. Yeah, because it's going to act uh, sometimes non-conducively from what they're getting a yeah. the retirement for. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely regulation. Some kind of regulation may help in that sense as far as what you can and can't do or what you can and can't influence at certain levels. Um, it's interesting how that would play out. I'll tell you, uh, when Afghanistan happened, there was a bunch of retired generals that made that wrote a, a really strong letter saying that people should resign. And then the Navy came out and said, you guys are still beholden to your retirement. You're going to talk trash. We're going to pull your retirement. And then they all went silent. Imagine but that. at no point has any military branch ever threatened to take the retirement from a general officer working for a Raytheon or a General Dynamics, right? Mm. It's like... Yeah, sickening. You know, another thing that comes to mind when I had uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Myers on, he said that uh, when Trump, the Trump administration, was running the show, they called, uh, called Millie a, a mini-Trump, a mini-me. 
because of how in line with Trump's personality. He said it completely made sense why he chose this guy. He said day one of the administration changing was the same day that he flipped like flipped the script to be a yes man for the other side. And that is that is hypocrisy. And it's like there's a lot of people now airing that out. And so I know you don't want to like implode as a service, but you might want to tighten the reins down and say, okay, if we don't fix this, this is bad. 100%. And like at this point, there's no more containing Stu Scheller and the story that goes with it. You've been on every large podcast, Fox Nation, you've been on every big America uh, platform that people still have trust in, it seems like. And um, so that story is not going away. The question is, uh, here's another question. Uh, oh, hold on. Oh, sorry. To that point. The DOD did everything they could to ostracize and get rid of me. They even got rid of me under general, under honorable conditions. But what they didn't think through is every person of my rank and experience, when they retire, when they write a book, it has to be DOD reviewed. Yeah. Well, guess what? My book doesn't have to be DOD reviewed because they did um, everything to get rid of me. So it's like, you know, you're going to get what you asked for. Like you, you want to get rid of me? Well, guess what? I'm not going anywhere. And like you said, my message is getting out there. And now you don't even get a chance to say anything about my book. Yeah. And it gives you an, it gives you an opportunity to clear your name to the greater population, listening audience and population here in the U.S. and the greater world. is like there comes a time when you got to spit on your hands and do things you don't want to do uh, because it's the right thing to do. Um, and when you teach Marines that, I mean, even MCDP one talks about, there should be all variety of plans that come to the table before the table slapped. You're saying, okay, once the table slapped, you need to own it. You slapped the table and said, okay, I'll do this. Okay. Well now you bear the weight and the responsibility of that. And I mean, well I said. feel like that's basics and, and we're well not said. doing it. 100%. Um, so the other question that kind of ties in is, um, and I, I got a couple more for you, but, uh, this guy says, this is a, a Day of Bottle, Battle podcast host. He's a spiritual podcast. He earned a Bronze Star in Ramadi in the early days. And I had him on his episodes coming up. But he says, I'd like him to comment on the impact that he has had as one man who had the balls to stand up to a corrupt system. And what would happen if there were 5,000 men across the core that did the same? Yeah. And to the greater point, what would happen if there were 5 million across the U.S. that did, did the same in the public service? Power of the government comes from the people. Power of the military comes from the junior service member. All it takes is all of them to wake up and march in one direction, and there's nothing that can stop them. Sure. But like when I spoke out, we already talked about it, immediately the military did stand-down training to talk about how what I did was wrong, right? So you, you can never underestimate the power of these central systems. The Marine Corps Communications Directorate literally sent an email that they were stupid enough to put in my investigation that talked about how they were countering the narrative of popular public opinion for me. Like, so I'm going up against an, an entire communications directorate trying to counter my messages, right? So it's not easy to go against a system like that, but I think when you're right, like when you're right and you're passionate enough and you can connect to people, uh, it, can, it can catch fire. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I think the obvious answer is if 5,000, 5 million people will all decided to move in one direction. There's no stopping you. The hard part is battle because the system is trying to pull those people away from you and they're using the communications director. They're using stand down training, using all their tools. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're just one guy, it's hard. But like I said, if you're just one guy, but what you're saying is right, it really, I think it makes people pause. Yeah. 
when I talk to the Marines, I've, I've done a couple of speeches over on River Road at the battalions and talked to some of them, and I talked to them about building your brand. And I say, you know, I wasn't always liked. I wasn't the favorite from, from most of my commanders. From a couple I was, but from most of them I wasn't because I always said my mind if I thought I was right. And there is power to that, and you can affect change. Even if you're the low, low, low one on the totem pole, if you stand up and make the, make the right answer, you can affect change. might not always feel good. It might not always feel good. I got a velvet dagger one time from, from an RO because uh, I was the low man at a command staff meeting. He asked a question. My, my boss, who I had briefed the answer to, drew a blank and didn't have his notes and, like, shot those desperate eyes at me, like those save me eyes, you know. And I was like, yeah, sir, I called down to Paris Island. I talked to him about the backup iron sight system. And, I, you know, I briefed my information the same way I briefed my boss. And he just kind of looked at me. And he was like, yes, Sergeant, you should know when you should talk and you should know when you shouldn't talk. And it was literally the answer that he looked for. I did the job. I did the work that was delegated down to me, right? And then it went in my, uh, in my OMPF. So he fixed it. I went back to him like, hey, sir, like this could ruin my career. And I'm not sure what I did wrong other than give you an answer you asked for, you know. And so he helped me out. But um, we Yeah, were- so I'll say on that, you're 100% right. There's two things on that. Number one, every commander ever in the military has said, I want honest feedback. But you have to understand that that's different for each man. Sure. So none of them want honest feedback all the time. Yeah. And there's a line in the sand between, I'll take this honest feedback to you're a pain in the ass and you're bothering me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you have to be emotionally intelligent enough to figure out where that threshold is for each person. And it's different for each one. And so going back to all people are evaluated and promoted based on a singular report, if you cross that line with honest feedback under a pain in the ass, now you've dropped down to the bottom, just kind of like what you were describing there. And so again, the people that go to four stars, 40 years are not the honest feedback people. They're the people that maybe are maybe smart enough to figure out where that line is and can give good feedback, but never actually cross that line because they don't want to be viewed negatively. And where does that start? Lieutenant Colonel Myers suggested it starts at the general grade. Is that true? No, I mean, it starts Feels like it's before that to me. It starts as a platoon commander. I mean, like a grooming service, right? I I mean, obviously the captain is willing to take a lot more honest feedback and be more of a bro than a lieutenant colonel or general. So there's more ways to be loose and, and speak your mind. But you, from a very young age, start figuring out. This is a political game yeah. and I got to figure out how to navigate it. I mean, as a major and Lieutenant Colonel, it's it, you, you figure it out. And so I don't think you're truly the, what that other Lieutenant Colonel was allu- alluding to. You're probably not truly a political creature until you're a, an yeah. 06 or a general officer. But I mean, you, you start to be exposed to it as soon as you get into the system. I mean, but something for you junior officers out there that might be watching this podcast right now to keep in mind is, you know, stay, be steadfast in your, and your emotions and your stances, you know, don't be afraid to change. But if you believe you are right, you should, especially if it's one of those hills you can die on, you should ride that out tactfully as best you can. Uh, but you don't always have to be a yes man. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this. You just mentioned the, the same quote that I pulled to ask you about uh, in the recent article that you published in the Marine Times. You said, wars are won and lost in the scene between National Security Council and a general officer. We've, uh, we've established kind of what, uh, we've kind of hit that. I wanted to bring it up because that was a good point, and I liked your answer that you gave a minute ago 
uh, if you could breathe on on a solution to that a little bit outside of uh, regulation from let's yeah. say Congress, what, what do you I say? mean, the first thing is we haven't selected a Secretary of Defense that has identified that as a problem yet. Um, I mean, Mattis is probably the most popular one, but Mattis was advocating that we continue to fight in Syria and Syria materialized, I'm sorry, ISIS materialized ISIS. because of his failed policies in Iraq. Mm. And I'm sure General Dynamics profited heavily by continuing to have the war machine roll, right? So like to, to me, he lost all credibility. And we, we like Austin, I mean, there hasn't been a worse Secretary of Defense he came in after 100 days and said the biggest threat facing the DOD was COVID, followed by extremism, when Russia at this point had already staged all its forces on the border. We're trying to withdraw from one of the longest wars in American history. We have systemic issues in our education, in our procurement, and all these things. And he's just either doesn't care or doesn't know. And so the first thing is if you're going to have a secretary of defense, like he has to be smart, insightful, and capable of implementing some of these changes. And then secondly, if you're going to have the combatant command structure, those combatant commanders have to be able to engage with the National Security Council and develop a plan that is accomplishable. Sure. And then no matter what, once the plan, the strategy gets pushed from the National Security Council to the general, if he doesn't resign, he owns that plan. And when it fails, he can't go back and say, well, I gave different advice, so it's not my fault. Like, no, it doesn't work like that, man. How, how, let me ask you that. How do you think the conversation went when you said, I need 2,700 troops? Yeah. And I believe we should keep Bagram he, open. He, he hasn't, he hasn't to, said it, but I've watched all General McKenzie's interviews to Congress, and he basically says, I gave it. So President Biden at 2,500 troops in Afghanistan in April he said, I want you to drop down to 650 troops. Yeah. You know, McKenzie advised against that, but right. he didn't actually talk to the president. I can't say that definitively. I'm just saying after watching all his congressional testimony, it seems like he advised through the SECDEF to the president. Mm -hmm. And so General McKenzie never even got an audience with the president. And then I don't, you know, again, Austin is the worst. So Austin makes some type of recommendation to Biden. Biden says, no, I want to draw down to 650. And then General McKenzie, quote, I'm following the orders I was given. And then he just does it. And, and that's the question how that is, played out. The question is, like, I think in your video you said nobody ever took their rank up and said it, laid it on the table and said, hang on a second. These are my men that we're that's talking right. about. If it was me, if I was General McKenzie, I would go to the White House and I would get a fucking audience with the president. And I would say, hey, this is a bad idea. You're going to get people killed. You know, we're withdrawing from April to September. The Taliban goes in the mountains of Pakistan in the winter. We can wait six months and not risk any lives because the Taliban won't even be there. Like, it's common sense. Yeah. Instead, what we do is the antithesis. We invite the chaos. ISIS-K forms up. All these other little pop-up groups are forming up. And then it completely implodes on itself. And we lose a bunch of service members that we didn't need to lose. That's right. But again, the reason General McKenzie is there is because he just does what his boss tells him to do and he wants to please his boss. What, what would happen, have though? We don't generals that have courage. We don't have secretary of defenses that have any insight. What would happen, in your estimation, hypothetically, if the 600 troop thing came back and General McKenzie said, absolutely not. I, first of all, I cannot win it. I cannot do this mission with 650. 
um, and I will not assume responsibility for the lives of my men because you're too incompetent to take the recommendations from your on-the-ground commanders. What do you think would have happened if he had that conversation? I mean, he would have had to have resigned. You think so? Like they would have said, okay, you're done. We'll bring somebody else. Well, so when Singlob did it, Singlob did that. He resigned and they brought in somebody else, but he was affected and they didn't withdraw troops. Mm-hmm. So you can't say, I'm not going to do this and then just keep doing your job. Like you work for the pleasure of the president. The president has the right to fire you, but now it's public pressure. Like yeah. now Biden is backtracking in front of the entire American people. And he had one of his four-star generals tell him publicly that he's going to get people killed if he does this. And absolutely, he's going to re-examine that at that point. Now there's pressure on the next guy that steps up. What's the next guy going to do? Because now it's public. Is he going to be a puppet? Or is he going to be as courageous as the guy that resigned? That four-star that resigns still gets his same retirement. He still gets an honorable discharge. It's not like me. It's not like he's going to jail. It's not like he's not getting his retirement. He he has literally nothing to risk. Nothing Mm -hmm. to risk. Mm -hmm. I had everything to risk. Mm -hmm. And they're just cowards. Check. Check. Sorry, I no. like I still get amped up about this. I, I, maybe, I, I can tell. Maybe I can you should tell. bring it down a little bit. I, but it's just, I don't. I don't want you to bring it down. If you don't want to bring it down, if that's the way you feel, I want to get your message out to my audience. And I just happen to be in line with a lot of what you're saying. I got a couple more questions. These come from me. If you choose not to speak on them, I will not be offended. Recently in social media, you called out the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps about SS tattoos and being a yes man in that regard. You also called out Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps for some of his actions. Uh, would you care to note on both of those or talk about any of that at all? Yeah, I, the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, first of all, I, I didn't want to attack enlisted Marines, but the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps was talking about me, right? So he's going around the Marine Corps still talking about uh, how I'm giving the Marine Corps bad press which I'm not giving the Marine Corps bad press. I'm bringing to light issues that our senior leaders aren't addressing. And he calls himself a leader. He's a senior enlisted leader, right? And he's got opinions on me. And so my point is, he's telling the Marines that they need to think differently. And my point is, we need senior leaders to think differently. Hmm. Sergeant Major Black, whenever he comes into a room, the thing that, that uh, precedes him is that he hates Nalgene bottles. If he catches you with an Nalgene bottle, he's going to light you up. Imagine a world where we had a sergeant major of the Marine Corps that was about to walk in the room and they said, hey, if he catches you treating a Marine poorly, he's going to light you up. Said no one ever about a sergeant major. They're all focused on this bullshit. And all they do is parrot what the commandant says. And that's why I brought up what Barrett did, because, you know, obviously no one wants to promote SS that is uh, maybe can be referenced to a nasty symbol. Like I acknowledge that that's poor taste. But what I'm saying, though, is. If you have the same poor choices as the junior Marines, and then the junior Marines all got NJP or court-martialed for that, and you don't stand up for them, like you're a coward. Agreed. And I don't like that that happened. Now, I understand where the pressure came from because the media is going to be like that. They're going to look for anything that they can uh, pour salt into that wound, and then they're going to do it. Bottom line is, for anybody that's in my listening audience, that SS symbol has nothing to do, as far as our scout snipers are concerned, with shock oh. troops or Nazis or heinous murders that went on in the last yeah. war. It has nothing Ryan, to do I was, with it. I was a weapons company commander, and my sniper platoon had a scout sniper SS flag, right? Like, yep. I was, I'm, I'm an intelligent guy. I didn't look at it and think Nazi symbol, yep. right? And so yep. when I was watching these Marines get NJP'd over, I'm like, I'm a company commander, and it's like hanging in my sniper's office right now, right? 
And so it, it just was really hard for me to watch how we, because it was in the media, we're just going to blast these Marines when it was cultural. Mm. It was across the Marine Corps. Mm. So for those Marines just to take face shots, it was bullshit. And I think it was also bullshit. Like, um, I understand, like I said, I understand that the media pushed the narrative. But, like, we have, we live on a tradition and on a spirit of core, and we stand on the, on the shoulders of the giants that came before us, right? And all you did was take one of those traditions and oust it because some weak person decided they were going to cave to the pressure of the greater world. Not stand up and say, it has nothing to do with that. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I would invite you in to talk to these people and get, you know, these men that you're ostracizing and, and, uh, and demonizing to the greater world. And then you tell me that they're not honorable and then that they're not courageous and that they don't fill the gap for you. 100%. That's what a leader it. should do. That mm -hmm. is, and that was the responsibility of our senior leaders. They say, hey, if there's a cultural problem and it can be misconstrued, we will go back and address it. But those Marines aren't at fault. I, as the senior leader, am at fault because it's systemic. But mm -hmm. I dare you to come talk to these people, these warriors that have been fighting for you, and you tell me that they're wrong. Like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I made mention to uh, Gunnar Finney when he was on my show. I said, you know, I used to, as a younger man, say that uh, I didn't want people around. I didn't want people knowing what we did. I didn't want media there. You know, we're going to do our thing, and we don't want anybody around. But... My fear and the reason for my platform is that I fear that we've reached a place in history where the greater population in the United States doesn't even believe that war is a real thing. Yeah. It's out of sight and it's out of mind. The problem with that is, is that the civilian Congress procure our budget for training and for missions and for technology and for equipment. And when the civilian uh, generation that's there now gets into Congress and are procuring this money and are thinking about these things when they, outside of the ones that are in, inside of, you know, committees and intelligence committees and such, when they don't believe it's real because it's never seen, and it's obvious to me that they don't believe it's real because of the way they all reacted to Ukraine. It's like these fucking people have been doing this for years. You didn't know they were in war in 2014, apparently, as a sitting congressman. It's weird to me. And then because of that, it echoes down to us and reverberates down to us. Now, one thing I'd like to talk about uh, real quick before we close, before I forget about it. Uh, my entire career as an active duty member of the Marines, I did not vote for anything. I didn't vote locally. I didn't vote in the national, in the big elections. I didn't vote, period. I found it to be... If I voted for somebody that didn't win, and then I would have, I would harbor some sort of feelings for my commander in chief, and I can't have those feelings because he's still going to send me to war, regardless how I feel about it. And that was the way that I justified not voting for the, the entirety of my career. The fall at Harmon Karzai was the first big significant Marine loss since I retired, and I never knew it would affect me the way it did. Like, I mourned those guys the same as if they were mine because they were preventable. This was, it angered me, right? And so, if you were able to speak to my audience, which you are right now, out to the Marines and the sailors and soldiers and airmen and Coast Guardsmen to say, what is the most important thing you could tell them about voting, regardless of their situation being active duty? Mm. Yeah, so, I, like you, Ryan, I, I actually didn't vote. 
uh, when I was in the military ever. Right. And the last time I voted was before I joined the Marine Corps. And actually, they tried to get me to run for Congress. Um, the Republican Party did. And they were asking me about my voting record. I'm like, I'm not even registered. And, like, and they, they almost couldn't believe that. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a young, uh, a young guy joining the Marine Corps reached out to me and said, hey, sir, I'm going to OCS. Can you give advice to a young conservative? And what I told him was there are no conservatives in the military. There's just military members that are trying to make America a better place by being able to inflict violence on our foreign enemies when the time is called. So you need to drive conservative out of your vernacular if you're going into the military. Now, do we still have ideals and values with our family and things that we believe in? Uh, Absolutely. And I do think, even though I didn't vote, that it it may be important for certain people to go out and vote. Um, But I'm not... I'm probably not the guy to tell all active duty people to vote because I feel very strongly that the military should be apolitical. Mm. But I do feel very strongly that people need to start getting active right now in America. Maybe that's voting. Maybe that's just going to a local committee. Mm. Maybe whether it's your local Democratic Party or or Republican Party uh, county chair meeting and just seeing how you can get involved. Maybe that's a way to do it. Um, the school system is in really bad shape right now. Yeah. You know, are you familiar with who the board of education directors are in your local county and district? And so there's lots of ways to get involved. Voting, I think, is the most powerful. Um, but I also just want to caveat, remind people that when you're in the military, there is no politics yeah. and you should always be one team, one fight. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree that. I agree that there should be one team, one fight. However, I disagree on the part, like I'm trying to tell people now, and you don't have to, I'll do it. I try to tell guys that if you are unhappy with your current political environment, in my opinion, it's incumbent upon you, especially as a member of the armed forces, to at least have that conversation in your head. It doesn't mean you have to tout and jump on the the coattails of one political party or the other. I'm a registered independent. I will not... I will not conform and sign my name to either one of those parties. Uh, I wish we had 15 that I could choose from, but we don't. And so I remain independent, but we have to remain active because everybody, you know, like throughout my career, everybody always just knew that the military vote was going to the right. A, that's not true. And B, there's a large swath of us that never voted for anything because we felt like we were in a position where we shouldn't. Um, Being the fact that you you members of the active duty forces right now are the ones that go to the front line and tow it with the enemy and hold those values in my opinion that is why you should go and be in line and at least do your part now each man is on its own and i'm not going to harp it any further than that well Um, i'll say just to double down right now i'm going across america and doing veteran town halls and with different organizations if you're a veteran you better be voted i mean it's bottom line yeah, and right now the veterans aren't even voting. So I'm talking like after your service veteran, right? So active duty is kind of a, a weird situation just because I think it should be apolitical. But there's like 5 million to 10 million veterans out yeah. there that if they all went out and voted would swing an election anywhere. And so I'll just stress also veterans that may not have voted just like me and Ryan, you need to go vote now because it's incumbent on yeah. us to get this thing back on track. Agreed. Couldn't say it better because it's like 
without voting, we don't have another way other than That's a right. revolution. And we did not fight for the last 17 to 20 years, fight these foreign lands to come back and our entire infrastructure have to be imploded because of a few. That's um, right. You also, you, you said stuff in your, in your dialogue there about, um, about small factions of people. We're going to, in your opening to your, to your website there, uh, that, that things get corroded from the inside. And I want to say it was James Madison that wrote that in the Federalist Number 10, that it, it would be a small faction uh, of these citizens that banded together that would corrode us. This is not new information. This is the same information from the very beginning. And they knew I, it that I reread all the Federalist Papers while I was in jail. And oh, yeah. Madison's 10 is probably the most significant. Yep, that's that's something that hit me when I was in school. When I got out, I lost, I kind of lost my whole sense of purpose because I didn't choose to get out. Kind of like you, but not really. Uh, injuries and psychological uh, uh, problems, problems with my ears. I had some 82s dropped on me in Marja uh, at too close of a range and ruptured both of my eardrums out. And so I didn't want to get out, though. That was everything I ever did. That's what I love. Leading Marines, my wife hates hearing me say this. I said it on a couple podcasts, but... Uh, it's hard for me to discern which one was a bigger joy of my life because leading Marines in combat and leading combat guys to the enemy was the joy of my life. And I became emotionally invested because of that. Um, but it's uh, not something she likes to hear. She's like, I better be the joy of your life. You know what I mean? But yeah, it, it was the joy of my life and I don't want to see that go go wasted. I don't want to see those names go uh by the wayside because we have to have a revolution because that's just going to be the, the dark cloud. But the yeah. way that we can speak is we can endorse our friends that we, that we like. We can endorse the politicians that we like. And we can just be read in. It's, it's not a far cry to say be read in on what your local politics are doing. That's probably more important because it's going to hit you in your pocketbook. Uh, next to that, our federal elections are very important. We need to get back on track with this. And, uh, and I don't care if you vote left or vote right, or if you don't espouse to, e espouse to either one of them, I don't care, but action has to be had. We have to take action. Um, so I guess, uh, what are we looking at? We're about an hour and 17. You say you had about an hour and 30. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, I got maybe one more question for you and then I'm going to let you speak to the, uh, to the greater audience. Any, uh, parting words that you have, sir, uh, message you want to get out. Um, my last couple of questions come off of your social media account. Um, while I was looking up kind of cruising, you know, I want to see, you know, I was trying to keep in line with you so I didn't have the same interview that you've done, you know, 11 times. Uh, yeah, this has been a very unique interview. I've loved it. I've watched every one of your interviews to ensure that I wouldn't have the same, any question. Good. Nobody wants to hear it. the same stuff. So, um, um, oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. What did I tell you I was going to ask you about? Something from my social media. Yeah, your social media account where you're referencing one of the viewers wanted to know had the 8th Marines received their combat awards since oh, you yeah, made yeah. your statement to, uh, to the not. Marine Corps. 750 combat action ribbons and over 80 commendations for valor. Not a single one has been approved. And do you think it's because they don't want the narrative interrupted that we were fighting with the Taliban and not fighting with and against them? 100%. And what can be done about that as far as if my viewers see this right now and wholeheartedly disagree with it, what would be the advice that you would give them to apply pressure? I would write your congressman 
I would write your congressman and demand that he ask the commandant why all those awards have stagnated at Marson. Oh, you got it, guys. If it burns you just as bad as it burns me, and just as I'm going to do as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to send my letter. And you need to send your letter because these are the men and women and women that go out, the kids at 18 years old, that go out and wage war on your behalf. And to not have their back and not to award them properly is a travesty. We are only going to be as good as our bottom 1% and our top 1% happens to be getting treated badly right now. So if we can't shoot our top 1% good, then what does that say about us as a nation? I appreciate the time, sir. I appreciate you being on here with me. Um, I would love to catch you in a couple of months. Maybe something about your uh, your book. I have it pre-ordered yeah, now. Yeah, hundred percent, uh, man. Please bring me back on. Let's shoot for end uh, of October-ish. Perfect, October-ish. Uh, we'll get it on, get it on the books. Um, that'll give me a little bit of time to read it, understand it, and get some more form some more questions out of it. I truly appreciate it, sir. And I think um, I think as far as this show goes, this is the vein for the Marines. It's going to be the vein for the Marines. And I, 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 I sincerely, from, from me, from Matt, from my show, I, I sincerely appreciate you even taking the time out and go back, going back through this. I know it's not easy and I know it's not fun, but I do find it necessary. So Yeah, it's important. And so I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, any, any dude like yourself that wants to talk, I try to, I try to make the time because it's people like you. You know, the, the media is so polarized right now it's hard to get a truth that's why podcasts have taken off and you even said i'm an independent you're an independent thinker those are the people that i'm drawn to your experiences are similar to mine so this was an important interview for me and, and i hope to be back on hey sir i appreciate you and uh and we'll have you back on hopefully in september october time frame all right how you guys doing we uh post post recording right here Stu Scheller is off the hook and we're going to bring in, uh, bring in the co-host, Matthew Charette. Matt, things that you liked, things that you didn't like, things that you agreed with, things you didn't agree with. Go. Oh, man, I loved his fucking passion. His passion was there, man. He, You can tell he really cares about it, and he really cares about helping not only Marines, but the country as well. I got that in all of the episodes I've listened to from his other episodes, but it also came through in, in this episode for sure. Absolutely. That's something that we wanted to do. And, and we didn't want to ask the same question. So if you guys get to the end of this recording, hopefully you started at the beginning and said, hang on, let me spin myself up. If you want the in-depth, there's plenty of other uh, guys that did podcasts before when the, when the uh, news was originally first out, when these actions were first taken. And, um, and you can go back and kind of get a little bit more detail. This is more of a follow through. Most of the guys on this listening pot, uh, audience that uh, you know that that are communicating in and out of the page had already been tracking the situation, so we didn't want to burn time up reiterating what was already said. So, if you need to go back and you need to watch it again after getting some context, please do that. And keep in mind that we're going to have Stu back on at the end of September, October timeframe, maybe the end of October, and we're going to cover some more about the book. So stay tuned for that. But like I said, guys, please, if anything out of this episode. Uh, resonates with you, like 8th Marines not having their combat awards yet, we need to act. We need to, to come together and we need to act about this. This isn't about going at the Marine Corps. This is about doing the right thing. I love the Marine Corps. Matt loves the Marine Corps. We're all about the Marine Corps. But sometimes there's errors. Sometimes there's mistakes. And to bring them to light is not to give the, the Marine Corps bad press. To bring them to light is to try to get them handled and take away uh, 
the negative energy that is there. Um, and that's, that's what we got to do. Uh, Matt, did you find it interesting? You said something about, um, uh, off, off, off script said something about it's kind of crazy that we were both in Lebanon at the same time. And that's something that I pulled off Jocko. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty small wild. Marine Corps, huh? Small Marine Corps. They tell you that when you come in and it only gets smaller, the longer that you go. Right. Um, that's for sure. You spoke about his passion and I really think that the passion shines through because, uh, both on on camera and off camera, Stuart Scheller alluded to the fact that, you know, if he didn't stand up, who would? The guys that are supposed to stand up and throw their rank on the table weren't saying anything. And he suggests that it's because of the cultures of senior leaders that are in the Marine Corps. Um, call it what you want to call it. Maybe it's a slave to the system. Maybe they've gotten there and to, to, to resign and to lose you know, lose their retirement or, or, or potentially lose their retirement is something that a lot of people aren't comfortable with. And it's probably built in, right? That's probably by design is the way that I see it, uh, especially the way that, you know, the grooming has gone. I, I'm not saying that all generals have been bad. I, I'm, I'm not going to agree with that uh, completely. But I will say that if in this in the situation at Hamid Karzai, there were mistakes made. And to say I was just following orders, uh, I'm on board with the fact that that doesn't cut the mustard. If you're going to slap the table and say I'll own this plan, then you got to own that plan even when it goes south. What say you to that? Yeah, yep. And you know what? We were taught from a young age in the Marine Corps that you have the uh, not just the ability but the obligation to uh, disobey unlawful orders. And now I don't know where any of those orders that in the in the pullout from Afghanistan and Hamid Karzai come into play, but I mean, I can't think of a, a, a. I don't know that it. I don't know that it would be unlawful, but as you know, what's what, what, what Lieutenant Colonel Scheller kind of alluded to in, in the cast was that if you can't win it with that though, and you say I need X, and then you give me drastically less than X, then I gotta get an audience with the president or with the Joint Chiefs or with somebody and say, "Hang on a second, yep. I'm not going to just sacrifice my men because you guys don't understand what the." situation is i'm not going to do that you're going to get people killed by this action we need to you know adapt this plan a little bit and go a little further we need to have some conversation you don't just say well i, I gave it my best and well i guess i'll try to do what they want me to do it's like that, that's the wrong answer that's the wrong answer and um and you know how i feel about preventable deaths from you know for all the way back from time serving together preventable deaths is my number one Thing that we cannot allow that to happen too many people are going to die when you do it right uh to have somebody die because you just blatantly did things wrong and ignored intelligence and ignored your senior level on the ground commanders is is a travesty and we've said that so guys yep. like i said if you have taken anything away from this if anything resonates with you please write your congressman please get involved please act and please get these uh these awards for these marines that haven't uh haven't been awarded yet and please get in line so that we can get this country back on track. If you, if any of this resonates with you, please put it out there, guys. We appreciate you. We're going to see you on the ep next episode. Thank you. Louisiana gun shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also a large selection of AR 15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. 
Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger. We have all the brands, both in the store or at LouisianaGunShop.com. Not too far. You're marking a building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah.